Jesus is calling. He's calling us to the altar. Lord, not the altar in front of this pulpit or any other altar, but the altar of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Your beloved Son. And Lord, it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter where we've come from. The only thing that matters is that we turn our hearts toward You. Lord, that we recognize who we are in the scope of this universe that You have created. And we understand that in it, we are not worthy. But Lord, that's not the end of the story. You call through Your Son, Jesus. Through Your Holy Spirit, You call us to Your altar, the place of sacrifice where the blood flows ever pure to wash away our sin. Lord, open our hearts, our minds this morning that we may see the Word not only through the mind, but also through the heart. The heart that understands above all things that You are good and that You are our Savior. We thank You. We praise You through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please uh, be seated. Actually, God was calling us in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to to its kind on the earth. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. You know, by verse 29, the phrase, and God said, appears seven times. God spoke, and the heaven and the earth came into being. Can you imagine in the garden the conversations that God had with Adam and with Eve as they walked in the cool of the day. Jesus Himself is called the Logos, the Word. In fact, uh, in John 1 we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, on many occasions when Jesus spoke, He would say things that would, would amaze And being roused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Imagine that scene. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth. And after these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place. After these things, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. You know, as human beings, speech is inherent to each one of us. Helen Keller was a brilliant uh, woman, but sadly she was left uh, deaf and blind at the tender age of, of 19 months. But so it was after some time of being entirely unable to communicate with anybody, that a person came to her, Ann Sullivan, and and reached out to her and was in some way able to connect with her. And through that, 
they were able to understand all the things that were going on inside of her and she was able to communicate. You know, communication is so important and I don't know why this particular line gets stuck at McDonald's, but I tend to get a coffee from McDonald's in the morning. I could make my own, yeah, but you know, hey, I go and get my coffee and I say the same thing every time. I would like a large coffee with one cream. What? A large coffee with one cream. What? A large coffee with one cream. Sir, I can't understand you. You're going to have to pull around to the window. And as I'm pulling around to the window, I have to pray for my progressive sanctification. What's the matter with you? Can't you hear? Can't you understand? You know, I mean, think of a person who's had a, a, a stroke or some similar neurological thing where they get their words confused. So they know precisely what they're saying. And we keep going, what? What? And they get frustrated, yes? You know why they get frustrated? They get frustrated because one of the most important things in human life is to understand and to be understood. And when you can't be understood, it makes you crazy. I mean, Helen Keller's story informs us that speech isn't simply sound emanating from a person. And we all happen to agree on what those sounds are. It's something much more. It's embedded deep in the human heart. It allows one person, whether... Uh, the way Ann Sullivan did it with Helen Keller or through voice or any other means, it allows for one person to perceive and understand what another person wants, needs, or desires. I tell you, I, I don't remember uh, the day. I guess I don't even remember the year as I think about it. But I do remember the moment when each one of my girls called me daddy for the first time. What an amazing... It expressed an understanding of a relationship that we knew, that we shared would last a lifetime. It expressed a, a knowledge that was known implicitly before, but now explicitly stated a connection that would never be broken. You remember words like, like those. I mean, they, they stick with you. They form and inform who you are in life. They're remembered, they're cherished, they're stored away. You know, if you go to a wedding ceremony, you'll hear some of the most powerful words that exist. Words like, I do, or I will. Think of hearing the words from someone who you really value. I'm proud of you. I appreciate you. Or someone remembering your name and referring uh, to your name in a positive way. You know, there's power in words. The, the, the words I look forward to and have almost since the first day of my salvation. Uh, I knew these words before then, but I didn't believe them. Well done. Can you, can you hear that in your heart? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What an awesome 
thing to hear. Think of the power of God's Word in John 18 where it says that Jesus said to them, I am He. And they drew back and fell onto the ground. You know, when the centurion heard Jesus and he wanted Jesus to to heal his daughter and he heard, you know, hey, don't bother the Master anymore. Why? Because she's dead. That's it. You know, and and it was like, okay, but Jesus said he could take care of her. He could he could heal her. And he said, Let's go. And the Saturian said, What? You don't need to go. There's there's no need to go with me. All you have to do is what? Say the word. Speak the word. He understood. Think of the power to comfort, the power to heal, the power to save. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You know, the God-given gift of speech may in fact reflect in many ways the deepest sense of how it is that we have been created in the image of God. Because the gift of language allows us to express our feelings and our emotions, our ideas or our plans, the things that are in our, in our heart. But as with every uh, good and worthy and gracious uh, gift, sometimes we overuse and, and sometimes we misuse and it can lead to disaster. One way we do this is we speak before we listen. Our proverb today is, you can turn in your Bible or you can simply look at the front of your bulletin. Proverbs 18.13. And I'm the one that asked Liz to put that up there. If you give an answer, or if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Speaking and listening... uh, in a balanced way, are imperative to keeping peace in our homes, in our communities, in in our nation, uh, and in the world. What happens too often is that words become useless because they simply become noise in the background. They communicate nothing other than hostility or rage and are designed, in fact, not to communicate but to demand someone's attention. And it makes it difficult to understand one another. Sometimes uh, when we talk, the more we talk, the less we communicate, the less we hear. Some people, as soon as they hear somebody's voice, they just click it off. They just, they're not listening at all. They, they're nodding, you know, smiling even maybe. But let's look at some of the terms in our text to see how we can learn from this to develop a better walk with Christ first. The word answer simply means word or speech or advice. And it is the same word that's found in Genesis 11.1. Now the whole earth had one language with the same words. So it's just simply talking about, there's nothing particular about it. It's simply the words that someone's saying. To hear, we're familiar with this word very, very much. It's the first part of Ishmael's name. Ishmael, Ishmael, right? It means the God who hears. It's the first word in the the Shema, 
which is the command, the Shema. Shema is Hebrew. It's a Hebrew imperative for listen. Shema, listen. And what are you supposed to listen to? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then you have uh, folly. Folly means silliness, foolishness. It's found in in uh, Psalm 69, 5. O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. And then finally you have shame. And shame means uh, disgrace, reproach, dishonor. Job uses this word uh, in in what he was hearing from his companions in chapter 20 and verse 3. I hear censure that shames me. Now this is a bit of an aside, uh, but it's related enough to, to warrant a, a brief look. We often, very often, confuse the two terms guilt and, and shame. And the truth is they do often go together, but they are not the same uh, thing. Guilt is primarily a feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense or wrong that a person has done, or uh, even if it's an imagined offense, it will still bring uh, guilt for something like that. Shame is different in that shame feels like guilt in a way, but it's a painful feeling that's primarily rising from how we appear to others and ourselves when we don't uh, measure up. And it doesn't depend on anything necessarily that we've said or done. In short, the difference between the two things, and I'll give an example here in a second. Hopefully it will clarify it. In short, the difference, it lies on the fault line between what I do and who I am. What I do or don't do causes guilt who I am, and in particular, who I am in the difference between that and who I want to be causes shame. So, uh, once I was with a patient as he was dying, and instinctively, because of his medical condition, uh, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't touch him physically. I was there. I spoke with him, but I didn't touch him. And afterwards, I felt, actually felt, I felt guilty because even though the person was un, unconscious, I could not overcome my own fear to provide him one last measure of human contact. And more painfully than the guilt, I felt shame that I could be the kind of person who would withhold touch based upon my own fears. You see, guilt arose because of what I did not do, touch Him. Shame arose because I was disappointed with who I was. A person who would allow someone to breathe their last without human touch when it was in the power for me to give it. Benoist said something to this effect this morning at our worship service when he, when he was speaking about Peter and Peter was saying, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. The third time he says, I don't know the man. And you see, in this case, what Peter did caused guilt. 
But he also suffered from shame, the text tells us. Do you know why? Because he was disappointed deeply with himself that he was the kind of person who could and would betray. He saw himself as a betrayer. And I'll guarantee you, his heart was not healed until that morning on the sand when Jesus spoke with him. So Solomon is saying this, when you give an answer before you have heard and understood the meaning, you are foolish, you are silly, you are wrong, but more than that, you are ashamed. Why? Because the person should be ashamed because they do not value what the other person is thinking, experiencing, feeling, They don't care about the heart of the other person. That should take us back to C.S. Lewis who would say in the title of his chapter, Men Without Chests. Heartless men and heartless women who value the sound of their own voice more than they value the other person. Their own opinion more than their experience. Their own wisdom more than the other person's need. You know, we have to value one another. I, uh, when I was at the United States Air Force Academy, I developed a relationship with a rabbi, Rabbi uh, Arnold Reznikov, and he gave me a copy of an article that he had written some time before. He was probably about seven or eight years older than I was. And in it, he talks about how He was able to find his moral courage in the Mekong Delta in Vietnam through Lester Westling, who was a Protestant chaplain. And then he experienced an extraordinary act of brotherhood from a Catholic chaplain, George Pucciarelli, when a truck filled with explosives rammed into the Marine barracks in Lebanon in October of 1983. And of the 307 people who were killed, 241 of them were United States Marines. And Arnold was there. And he was comforting those men regardless of their faith or absence of faith. It didn't matter at that moment. He brought comfort to them. He bound up who he could bind up in the aftermath of this thing. And one man he was speaking to he took off his kippah, his yarmulke, if you know, that, that's on the head and he, because the man wanted to see him and he wiped the blood from his face and from his eyes with his kippah. And at the end of the day, the Catholic chaplain who was also there had observed his actions and so he took part of his own uniform and he, he cut out a kippah for him so that he could, so that he could wear it. Words and deeds that mean something about understanding another human being's pain. When Arnold's father died, his supervisor, who was a conservative Baptist chaplain, left what he was doing. He found him. He hugged him. And they wept together in the chapel. He listened to the pain before he said any words at all. But he had another colleague who said, Arnold, what you need to do is accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
because without that acceptance, the death of a loved one must seem truly hopeless. Were his colleagues' words right? Yeah, they were. Was Arnold hurt? Yes, he was. Did those words minister to Arnold's pain? No, they did not. That colleague had his own agenda, true as it may be, but he spoke before he listened. He did not listen to his pain. He only spoke his truth. Has Rabbi Reznikov, has Arnold come to Christ yet? No. And Arnold, I'm praying for you if you listen to this ever. But I can rest assured, you can rest assured and I can rest assured that if he ever does, it will come through that Baptist chaplain who shared his pain and not someone who, though he had the truth, did not have any heart. This must never be among us. I wish I could make a graphic of it. I see it in my mind's eye. We have so much knowledge we know the Bible so well. We know the truth. We know theology. That's not our problem. Our problem is having enough blood in our heart to pump that knowledge into action, into doing something, into caring for people. It never be named among us that what we know or what our passions are are not mediated through our heart. We must first listen carefully and then speak. You should this should remind you of James, yeah? James chapter one, verse nineteen, where he says, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. It is here he's he's reflecting exactly Proverbs eighteen thirteen. And while it should be obvious it, it apparently uh, doesn't seem to me. Dr. Stephen uh, Covey, uh, a man who understood leadership well, uh, said this, If I were to summarize in one sentence the single most important principle I have learned in the field of interpersonal relations, it would be this, Seek first to understand and then be understood. I mean, why is this so? This is so because most people seek first to be understood. You understand me. I'll, I'll get to you later. I don't need to understand you. What you need is to understand me. And all we want to do, most people simply want to get their point across to the other person. So they, you know, they maybe they quietly listen and... And, and maybe maybe even they do listen. I, I don't know. But maybe they selectively hear only the parts that they want to. Or maybe they're, you know, alternatively coming in and out or whatever. But most people listen with one intent. To reply. Most people listen long enough to you to be polite enough so that they can tell you what's in their mind. Most people... Uh, want to show their brilliance, their opinion, their thoughts, and their intent, again, is not to understand but be understood. We need to flip that as believers. We have to flip that. We have to understand what other people 
want. And as we listen, instead of preparing our minds as to what it is that we're going to say, which is all filtered through, through us and our experiences, we need to be able to listen to what it is that they are saying. Too much time we have the need for speed. We step on one another's conversations. We've got to get our thing out. You've got to get it out there. It might not be heard. And one cartoon, Dennis the Menace. Is he still out there, Dennis the Menace? We know who Dennis the Menace is. If you don't know who Dennis the Menace is, I'll introduce you to him right now. He was in trouble for something that happened at school. And, uh, and so his mother was getting on to him and she said, Your teacher says that you don't listen, Dennis. And Dennis replied, But, but I can talk and listen at the same time. <laughs> The impulse for the need for speed of speaking before we understand, I tell you what it does. It opens us and others to unfair judgments, to imbalanced criticisms, to just plain ignorant statements about someone else. And we, sometimes we may be right, but that's usually by accident. Most of the time we're just creating noise. No matter what the need for speed you feel as an urgency, take a deep breath. Take a breath before you respond. Do I understand? Can I say in one sentence what they're saying to me? And keep in mind that the, the thought that you really have is merely your opinion. And it's not the answer. It's an answer, perhaps. I, in fact, most of my experience tells me this. Most people aren't looking for your opinion as to how they should handle their problem. They're looking for what you're saying to cultivate in their mind the answer that they come up with their, for their, their problem. One of the things I've held tightly to through the years is this notion that there are no emergencies in the church. There, aren't, there are no emergencies. The need for speed in the church, inevitably leads to two things, heartache and sorrow. The reckless ruination of people's lives, crushing of tender spirits, there's no need for speed in the church. There are no emergencies in the church. Now, having said that, if I keel over one day, that's not a church emergency. That's a personal emergency. Please, physicians in the house, feel free to come and do something with me. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. In the church, we have to think through second and third order consequences. And speed does not allow for that. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how experienced you are. Thinking through orders of consequence requires time. The need for speed forces us to make caricatures of others and straw men of the arguments that they're making. And we minimize their pain in such a way that our interactions ultimately can become useless. We've all seen this at various points in our lives. Really, listening, you see, is not hearing. There's a difference between the two. In Proverbs, even though the word hear is there, he means listen. It's not simply giving the other time to finish their words and then give the answer that's just boiling up and ready to go. But we have to 
understand what's important to the other person. We've got to understand what's important to them. Both Solomon and James want us to get to know someone better. Because wisdom begins when we listen more and we talk less. You know, just a few years ago, and some of you relate to this, some of you won't. Just a few years ago, people used to come to Christ at 30,000 feet in jet airplanes. Do you know why? Because when you got in a jet aerial plane back in the day, when you sat down next to somebody, you struck up a conversation. You said, hello, my name's so-and-so. What's your name? When was the last time you flew on a plane and did that? I tell you what, today... You sit down, you can have a flight from New York to Los Angeles and never say boo to the person next to you. That person will be buried in their iPhone, their iPad, their computer, their earphones, watching a movie or whatever it is that they're doing. You can learn a lot about making charts too, businessmen making their charts as you go. But to say hello... If you, if you said hello to them, they would think something's the matter. What do you want? What are you trying to get out of me? You know, that's not the way it was. People got saved on airplanes because people were in communication with one another. The word, I, I want to point out a, a word here in, uh, in, in James 1.19 where it says to be quick to do something. This is a great word because it's the word that's used in John 20 and verse 4 to describe what Peter did. So Peter outran John to the empty tomb. So when it says to be quick, what it means is we should be outrunning one another to listen to those around us. We should run to the Word of God to listen. We should be intent on the one Who's speaking? Okay, so how at a practical level um, does the, our Christian life, I mean, what does it look like to outrun somebody else? It, back at uh, some point in the distant past, I could outrun some people, but, you know, today I just, you know, um, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. I don't even think I could walk 18 holes on the golf course. I have to ride the cart. Today's world, they make you ride the cart, I think. But anyway, the point is, uh, how do we do it? Because obviously we're not running. So what, is it, what does it look like to be quick to hear? First, choose your words. Some people, their filter needs an adjustment. It needs to be adjusted a little bit so that you select the words that you use. Solomon wrote, He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You know, back in the, in the 60s, everything was cool. That's cool. You didn't know that was biblical, did you? A cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven. Restraint, you see, is a godly quality, and it's a discipline that's important to us, especially in our conversation or interactions with others. We don't need to say everything that we could say. That's 
one thing. Second, understand this. Not all points are worth voicing. They're not. Not all arguments are worth pursuing. Not all battles are worth fighting. Leave it alone. It's not worth it. It may not be worth it. Some things are worth it. You have to engage for sure. But, you know, some people, I know people, if they get cut off in traffic, their life is over until they get back in front of that other person. You know? I mean, it's like you got to get, get, no, just leave it alone. Let them go. Bye. Have a nice life. By the which way, and I've discovered this, and I didn't mean to be mean, but I was trying to be nice, and I found out, I guess, that it was really mean, that if you do wave at somebody when they do something like that, wow, do they get mad. <laughs> Third, when you listen... At times you need godly counsel. You know, I mean, seriously, we don't know everything. I don't care how experienced you are. I don't care uh, how much education you have. We just don't know. And sometimes when you're thinking, particularly if it's an issue that, you know, is demanding a response that's not just casual conversation, which, of course, is what Proverbs here is talking about. He's not talking about two people talking about football games this afternoon. I hope I didn't. There's another thing starting, right? It's a night game tonight, right? right? You know, talking about football in a, uh, used to be more so, in a congregation, like it's talking about food. It starts certain things happening prematurely. So people start checking their phones or reaching in their purse for little snacks. Anyway, get a second opinion. There's nothing wrong with getting a second opinion when you're responding to a problem. Fourth, pray about the response before speaking off the top of your head. Solomon wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. That can be used in so many ways, but one of the ways that that can be used is to acknowledge Him. Pray. Think about it with God. The Spirit of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the living God is in your heart at this very moment. Listen to Him. He will give you wisdom if you open yourself to His direction. And if it's really complex... Sleep on it. Seriously, you don't, you don't need to answer right now. Most things in life don't have those kinds of requirements. Take the time that you need. Sleep on it. Take some time with it. Discuss the alternatives, the implications and so forth. Solomon wrote, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes Surely to poverty. Proverbs 21.5 Finally, remember, remember this principle, principle from Proverbs 12.18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. You know, the words of God, 
brought about creation, the words of Christ's salvation, what do our words bring? Do our words bring injury? Do they bring healing? Are they as graphic as sword thrusts? Or are they healing balm to the wounds of others? May we be a healing community, a community that is quick to listen and slow to speak. And all this is possible only through Jesus Christ our Lord and His presence in our heart to give us the strength to do so. Father, we come before You thanking You that You allow us to understand and be understood. Lord, one of the one of the things that I've learned through the years to be able to hold off is, is figuring out what you're doing or figuring out what it's going to be like or understanding what was in your mind. And those, those, those questions are still alive within me. And one day, I will. I will know you even as I am known. And Lord, as I look towards that day when all things will be known, I will know what I only hope now and believe now, but will know then the depth of Your love for us. Thank You, Lord, through Christ I pray. Amen.